Welcome to episode 73 of The Route, presented by Jobs in Sports. The Route is a glorified sports business coffee chat and has a new guest every episode as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Christopher Nascimento, and let's get started. Obviously, before we get into today's guest, just a few things to cover as always. First, if you haven't already, follow us on social media at The Route Sports. That's on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Um, all those different channels were available there. That's where you can find the magazine covers when the, the episodes drop, and that's a way to maybe interact with, with the guests as well. Additionally, the other thing I'll ask before you begin is to subscribe to the podcast. It allows the podcast to grow a little more easily and you know find new um, listeners. So if you're on YouTube, just take a few seconds to subscribe at White Whale Marketing. That's where you can find the podcast under uh, the route playlist section. Or if you're listening through the audio version on Spotify, Apple, Google, etc., just subscribe there, follow, and then rate five stars because that helps us grow. So as you guys do that, just take a few seconds. And now that that's set, let's get into today's guest. So now that we're getting today's guest, they're going to be joining us from Germany. So here's Sammy. So I just want to you know take the time to, to introduce him. So Sammy has some experience with FIFA, the German Football Association, and now the Director of Interla- International Relations and Sports Partnerships at Eintracht Frankfurt, Sammy Hamama. Welcome to the route. How's it going? Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for having me. It's I'm I'm doing okay. How are you? Yeah, no, not not too bad. Good to good to speak to someone this morning. Um, morning for me, and obviously maybe later in the day for for yourself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the way I like to begin every single podcast is essentially with the same question: the name of the podcast. What's your route? So, you mind maybe taking us from where you went to school and how we got to today's position now. Thanks, Chris. Um, well, first of all, I think it's uh, it's important to to understand that I'm uh, basically since eight years now in the in the sports industry in in general, mm-hmm. um, from beginning as a as a lawyer um, by profession. I studied uh, here in Frankfurt at the university. However, somehow I was always very interested in international um, affairs, international law. Um, so I uh, tried to to specialize in in that sense uh, already very early on. Um, I did that by participating in an arbitration moot court. So it's international mm-hmm. commercial arbitration moot, um, and uh, it really got me very excited uh, about arbitration in the first place. So dispute resolution, international dispute resolution, um, and uh, when I was professionalizing more in that area, I understood that there are um, it was about the time when, when really you heard, the general public heard about decisions by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the highest court in, in sport. And I was really interested in, in seeing if there's any chance of me not only doing something from a procedural law perspective, which is great, but also in terms of merit um, and, and uh, yeah, topics that would be also very interesting for me. And um, one of the things that I always fancied was, um, or what I was always fond about, is is actually sports. For me, it started with uh, with cycling very early on. I could be, yeah, I never get bored about uh, bicycles, cycling races, uh, and everything. So for me, it was really that goal at that time to maybe seek an opportunity in combining my expertise, the legal expertise, with uh, what I'm super interested about um, and that being sports. Um, I was fortunate enough to to work at um, at a law firm where there was one CAS arbitrator and um, it was it was actually quite funny because I had a very good friend um, Natalia Tibibo and I asked her do you see any chance that I could be working on CAS cases as well and she said yeah maybe if it works out uh, with the partner and um, she supported me in the sense uh, very much and I appreciated it a lot. Um, and I was absolutely happy to, to be working on these topics, on cast proceedings, um, especially with the, with the, within the field of cycling um, mm-hmm. was one of the first cases I was working, working on was an anti-doping cycling case. And that was um, basically the start 
um, I guess. Uh, from there, it uh, became very obvious to me also when I look back now to my on my career um, that it is uh, very important to have a personal connection to people, to have a, a mentor, sort of, uh, somebody who has already experience in the field, just like Natalia did with me, um, the, the partner that I worked for, Christian Duve as well, he took me to, to the CAS proceedings to um, let me do basically everything within within the realm of, of working as an ad hoc clerk to a CAS arbitrator. And um, that again put me into place with, um, or, or, or in a room with other CAS arbitrators again, um, who I connected with, um, who I had discussions. I was super keen, obviously, pretty much like everybody else um, in that area. So I would never stop talking, never stop uh, grinding the problems mm -hmm. and trying to, to make, uh, create something new. And um, yeah, from there it took, um, it took me to, to further see what is possible in a way with that, with that topic. Obviously I started at the very top with, with cast um, and um, usually you're not um, you're not uh, in the beginning of your career when you end up working at CAS, um, but you're a rather very experienced lawyer, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so I was looking for other opportunities as well. I was traveling to um, football law conferences, met people there, um, actually to to one at the uh, Spanish Football Association. They had one. Um, it was in the very beginning, basically, the fourth edition, I think it was. Um, and uh, there I was um, not really knowing what I should be doing, um, but really having had the determination to, to be here and, and stay uh, within this industry, I would say. Mm -hmm. And um, um, there, was a, there was a person from the European Commission having a keynote speech about um, the transfer system in football and how it all has to be um, consistent with European law. And I found that, uh, yeah, very interesting. Also chatted him up, uh, Pedro Velasquez, uh, uh, I chatted him up and I asked him, uh, do you see any possibility for a German lawyer to work within the European Commission? And um, he was very open, very frank with me. He said that there are possibilities, but it's very difficult to get in. Mm -hmm. So basically, I was I was chasing him a bit uh, afterwards, and um, again, I guess I, I was I was extremely lucky um, that I convinced some people that uh, they would hire me or have me for a couple of months at least. Um, obviously, I had to to push this into my legal um, education here uh, because it was a little bit of a stretch going to um, to the European Commission for a stage atypique, as they called it. Um, but it was something very valuable as well, coming from the legal side of the issues like doping or match fixing. I was now looking at, at uh, the topics from a perspective that is more of, the, of a regulator side, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very interesting as well. Um, I worked for the European Commission in uh, several working groups, expert groups. Um, good governance, match fixing, um, as well as anti-doping. So I had a lot of really great experiences there as well. All again, I guess, and this is a little bit the red thread here. Again, somebody was there, Jakob Kornbeck, who I was really happy to work with. He let me do everything that I wanted um, and he pushed me too, uh, which was yeah, extremely helpful, obviously, for, for furthering a career that at that time I, I did not have yet, um, but eventually would, uh, what I would do in the, uh, later on. Um, from there, um, I graduated a lawyer, uh, getting my bar exam in Germany. And then basically I was applying, um, applying to, to CASA's legal counsel, to UEFA, um, to FIFA, uh, I think even WADA um, and, uh, IOC as well. So I always got an interview, but not the job. Mm -hmm. um, that was really frustrating at that time. And um, I, well, it's not no big deal, um, but uh, I think it's also tr a true feedback. 
um, you sit there with the sixth uh, turn down um, and you think maybe this is not the path that I should pursue because it's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah, I was really very happy with the, with the support of my then girlfriend, now wife. She said, look, uh, Sami, if you're getting into the last round of every uh, interview, that's already something because you're leaving behind a lot of other candidates. And um, that really got me and, and helped me. Um, and then eventually there was an, was an opening that was really felt like being tailor-made for me. I even got a reference from the European Commission uh, to work at FIFA in, in, a, in a public affairs role for, for European um, sport policy and law. And I was really, I was flying, I remember flying to, to Zurich, the headquarters at FIFA, smiling, um, going to the meeting um, and having the feeling as if I had already won everything. Uh, so no surprise, I wasn't really um, uh, overwhelmed when they said, yes, you're going to start to work for us. Um, it was only later on. <laughs> I think a year in the job that I learned that um, roughly speaking, 200 candidates had applied and wow. I really made it. And that was a very, very humbling experience for me, I guess, um, when I understood that um, there's no such thing as you being perfectly well suited for a job. There are a lot of other people out there who are um, likewise very interested in, in, in your in that job, in that position, working at FIFA or working in sports in general. Um, so, so I learned something from there, which is uh, always be humble uh, and see what you can do and what you can can help with, um, rather than thinking that uh, everything is uh, is given in in this uh, industry, in this business in general. Um, makes you also understand uh, the trade offs a little bit better. Um, when you're in this position or in this uh, yeah, position of having a job in sports, um, it's something that uh, a lot of people are dreaming of. And um, one has to be grateful, I think, for, for being blessed with that, especially a person like me who had no prior experience within sports, within professional sports, neither myself nor in my family or network before. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's really something. And um, yeah, it was actually the time when, when there were a lot of uh, raids and, and negative publicity around uh, FIFA and corruption in uh, 2015, um, when I thought of uh, maybe leaving the organization. Um, and uh, I, was, I was looking out um, for, for job opportunities um talk to people here and there and um also also from this point and from this angle like i think it's uh, it's also something that i i learned is whenever you you talk to people about a position or a position to be created it's uh, still a long way to go um and um, i ended up um being at uh, or finding another organization that was um, gone or that had gone through a, a corruption scandal at the, the German FA before, um, and they were but they were willing to to make um, yeah many changes in terms of governance in terms of compliance um, that I want, uh, wanted to support and um, especially since uh, they also had a had a candidate for becoming president who had no prior experience in um, international football mm -hmm. um, I thought it was also a good opportunity for me to um, position the the president uh, the new president um, but also build on my pre private prior experience in, in international football um, yeah it's what is actually has been uh, five years now uh, that I worked for the German FA um, with serving two presidents actually mm -hmm. um the the turmoil sort of never ended mm -hmm. um or was only paused for a couple of uh, months i guess uh, actually um but uh, yeah the most recent change was obviously also something that i have never experienced in my career before um that i got sacked at the german fa 
And um, in the beginning, it was also something where I was like really uh, concerned about my reputation within the field. Um, however, it was the the overall support was overwhelming. The the people who were uh, chatting me up on uh, over uh, from the from the international side, um, even within Germany, it was really overwhelming. So. Um, uh, I was really, really very happy to to see um, that uh, the reputation has not uh, vanished uh, just over that, but everybody understood what's what was happening. Um, and um, for me, it was really something very special to experience in terms of building resilience, I guess, also. Mm -hmm. um, but now uh, that, uh, yeah, the discussions went very well with the club, with Eintracht Frankfurt, it was also very interesting to see that the challenges that European football in general um, uh, experience with the European Super League, for example, okay. and or the the challenge of how do we deal with with the financial outcomes of COVID um, and the, the stress this puts on the on the financial system in in football is really something that is also felt at the at a club that is. Um, could play more often internationally than it actually does. Mm -hmm. Having said that, it's still something where you see there's a, there's a cultural shift in football. And um, they, the CEO asked me um, some of my opinions in the first place, and we had a couple of coffees over the over the topics. And um, you could really see that they they would be really interested in in understanding the situation better and also to prepare themselves of uh, what's going to what football is going to look like in uh, three years time. And um, yeah, this is uh, how I ended up uh, getting this position that I now have. Yeah, no, that, that's an amazing right, and that's kind of the best part about you know the podcast. I find whether it's you know yourself or any other guests they're like oh i don't know if my story is that interesting but everyone's story is so different that it is right it's never the same story even like uh even if we get a another director at some other club no one has the same right the, the same path so that's what always makes a, a, an amazing story and episode as well so i appreciate that and honestly i already have tons of questions that i'd like to ask <laughs> but uh yeah maybe if we kind of just go We'll go to the beginning and then I'll work my way back. Sure. Um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier on that I, I thought was pretty interesting was how, you know, you said you were passionate about cycling, right? And then, you know, you actually got to, to work in the field. I was curious how, um, what was that like, right? Because you're saying you're so passionate about it. But as you mentioned, you're, once you begin in a certain position or field, you don't necessarily end up there for the rest of your career, right? So how was it maybe going to your your dream right away how, yeah. how was that it was actually quite fun because i, I convinced the, the the lawyers or the partner um who was on this case the the doping case in cycling mm -hmm. that i knew everything about uh cycling and its rules and regulations which was true um even though obviously uh knowing the rules and regulations of the sport doesn't mean that you're an expert in, in anti-doping all of a sudden, because this is again, a completely different field of expertise that you need to have. Yeah. But I told him, I understand everything about the sport. I know the, the, the cyclists, I know the hierarchies, I know uh, the institutions as well, um, the, the laws that govern the sport, uh, the ins and outs, and you need my expertise here. Yeah. Full uh, stop. That was that was sort of convincing, but then again, obviously, it's something where you see this is just one case, um, and uh, um, now this gets a little bit technical. But in in terms of uh, cases in before the court of arbitration for sport, you need to also look at not only the sport, the sporting rules and regulations of that particular sport, but also Swiss law and international law maybe other laws that are applicable. So it's really something where you cannot just simply say, I'm an expert in this sport, so have me on, mm -hmm. because it's really just a fraction of what you actually need to, to consider in such cases. Um, and it remained the only cycling case I ever had uh, the opportunity to work on, actually, even yeah. though it's my 
yeah, number one priority sport, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that, that's interesting. And I, I was kind of curious, maybe what, like, like you're saying, it was the only case that you worked on in regards to cycling, and it's your maybe your, your top sport in terms of interest. Is that something where maybe that's still something you want to work to, where you can find a way back into cycling one day in your career? Or is that something you're like, hey, I'm glad that's happened, but maybe you're you're on to a different path now? Um, no, I, I would say, um, well, having started a new opportunity now, I think it's really something that I want to pursue and, mm -hmm. and there are enough challenges for me to work my way through first. Mm -hmm. But if there is the opportunity to go into cycling, um, be it in various positions, not necessarily as an administrator, I think, um, that would be cool and I would certainly pursue it. Because mm -hmm. in general, I think in, in life... Uh, in terms of what I learned, it always makes sense to pursue your interests um, over maybe a strategic decision um, to do this because it now gets you whatever paycheck or security or, or, or. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And I, I for sure agree with that. And that kind of maybe transitions to, to a good question where um, a lot of people listening are maybe young professionals or even those in, in school, I'd say, right? So maybe they're about to enter their first, you know, job in sports or trying to, or even um, maybe move on to their second one, right? And, and start growing and developing within their career. And you touched on, you know, applying to all these different, you know, governing bodies, right? And I, I did something similar where when I, when I came out of school, I was, I think I made an Excel sheet and I was trying to apply to, you know, NFL, NBA, I even applied to, you know, uh, positions in Austria, Germany, right? And just trying to, you know, get interviews and go from there. Um, so how did that work for you, right? Because obviously that's people right now, that, that's what they're interested in learning. And how did you apply? Was it through LinkedIn, connections? How did that go about? Um, well, Chris, I think it's a bit of everything that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I was really looking uh, um, at sites like Sports and Jobs, uh, uh, Jobs and Sports and mm -hmm. uh, other professional networks, uh, as well as looking at the at their websites and, and seeing if there are any updates on career opportunities really um, nonetheless i was letting everybody know that i would be really interested in pursuing any opportunities in sports mm -hmm. what i've learned from from the various uh, yeah um, meetings that i had i think it's um with every meeting that I had, every uh, interview I had, I really understood more what is needed, what is maybe not needed. Um, so I guess to make it very simple, you don't need as an employer in sports, somebody who says, um, I'm a sports fan and I would love to work mm -hmm. at your place, even if it's just mowing the lawn. That really doesn't bring you any added value for your enterprise or organization. Um, what you need is somebody who is a specialist in a specific area that you need um, and uh, who is also excited about um, the position, about the institution or, or the organization. Because, um, and this is also reality in terms of jobs and sports, it's, it's not a usual nine to five. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually not as highly paid as a, a, a legal job or a, a job at a bank, mm -hmm. um, but it's something where you really understand uh, that you have a more communal sense uh, in a way in the in the enterprise. And I have worked at um, uh, public institutions as well as courts, as well as uh, different law firms in different countries, and um, they were all very good places with very cool people. But sports is different, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you. Well, you talk also about um, the latest uh, results in the in the kitchen, um, obviously in a law firm. But if you're working at a club, the, the the results of the last weekend also could mean whether or not there's money to fulfill or to to. Um, uh, realize a project, for example, um, that could all well take place, and it really affects you um, in your in your professional life as well. So it's a it's a different story, um, and um, I think, yeah, I think it's really it really comes down to um, 
a, a different culture, I guess, that is uh, in a in a sports club. And I even now that I'm in four weeks in my my new job at uh, at Eintracht, it even is a diff different uh, uh, mentality at Eintracht than it was at the German FA, even though mm -hmm. it's football and uh, they're actually very closely located to each other. Mm -hmm. But it's yeah. a completely different mindset. No, no, and that's very interesting because in a somewhat similar manner, I uh, I initially started off in accounting, right? So I wanted to go to the accounting route, go, you know, I had a job with the government and then I was going to, you know, go to the firm, et cetera. And then I just realized I wasn't passionate, right? Where kind of similar understandings that you were mentioning where, mm -hmm. yes, going to sports may not be the typical nine to five, may not get paid as well as, you know, you would necessarily in other fields or other, you know, organizations, but it's maybe more passion, right? Where it strikes your interest, keeps you, you know, um, interested, right? For a longer period of time and more bought into what's going on, right? Where I think even for a perfect example would be, I think the last podcast episode we have, which will air right before this one, um, you know, our, our guest, Jan from, from Wolfsburg, he was mentioning how um, they're in a relegation playoff and how, you know, it was one of the craziest moments of his life because if they lost that game, they're all essentially getting fired, right? So similar to how you're thinking <laughs> where, you know, some clubs or you know, some, you know, law firms are talking about the results, you know, in the kitchen. But then when you actually work in the club, like you're saying, yeah. those results actually matter, right? Whether it's actually your position for that week or even, you know, um, you know, the budget for the next or what what it looks the yeah. outlook looks for next season, right? So it, it's very different and for sure interesting. And if, I always, I thought it was so funny when he was mentioning that, how, he was saying how it was one of the best experiences, but one of the scariest of his life because, you know, because it, it goes either way, right? So that's yeah. definitely funny. But um, the, the other thing I wanted to get into is you're, you know, you were mentioning how you're, you know, applying to these positions and obviously, you know, you're, you know, getting the interviews, going to the different rounds, but then you just weren't, you know, getting there. And then obviously with, with FIFA, you were able to, to execute on that interview and you later found out how, you know, there's 200 candidates, which is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But um, maybe is, do you have any, what is it? I don't know necessarily advice, but what do you know what allowed you to stand out compared to those 200? Was it simply just knowing what FIFA wanted, right? And not necessarily being, hey, I'll, I'll mow your lawn or, or anything like that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, in the obviously I, I've thought about this too. I think since it was one of the, the last interviews I, I had uh, in this regard, um, I was able to culminate all of the understandings and experiences of the interviews before. Um, I think because of the fact that I thought it would be so easy, I had a very positive approach to it. So I was all smiles and, and, and very happy to be here and, and enjoying the ride extremely well. Mm -hmm. um, but then obviously also the fact that um, I was also confident in terms of the expertise. They were asking for somebody who has understanding of EU law, and I had it from the very insights of the European Commission, the, the regu European regulator. Mm -hmm. um, I even had exchanges with FIFA on very specific topics when I was at the, at the European Commission. Um, so it was really this ability to understand the problems or the needs as well as this positive approach, um, I think that was that was really what uh, got me the the job. Um, I'd say always go to um, towards creating value or or showing how you can add value to the organization. That's the that's the most important factor. Um, just simply having somebody else working on administrative stuff. It doesn't matter if it's you or somebody else, but if you can make a good case for why uh, what you bring to the table is creation of uh, creating value uh, for the organization, then I think you you have very high chances of getting the job. There might still be somebody else who is maybe connected to mm -hmm. uh, the person in charge, whatever, um, but still, uh, I think this is the, the bottom line, I'd say. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And I forget if it, maybe it was a coffee shop I had when I was younger, but one of the 
quotes or things that stood out in one of those chats was they're saying how in these different interviews, right? It's not necessarily what, you know, a club or company can do for you by hiring you, right? Like, Hey, like I need the job, like, please like bring me, but it's, Hey, like what, like you're saying, what value I provide, but if you hired me, right. Cause that's what they're looking for. They're not seeing what they could do for you, but what you can do for them. Right. So I think that that's a great point. And then, um, also actually I'll ask this first before I go into the next question. What was it like working in FIFA, right? Cause I'm sure that's something, you know, people are interested Amazing. in. Yeah. Amazing. So many highly educated, uh, good people from all around the world. It was really amazing. You had um, you had a, a corner of the of the corridor was uh, they were Spanish, then the other side French, then even some Germans, and you would still always um, feel whether you are in a meeting with people from Europe or you're in a meeting with people from from South America as well. There's always a different vibe to it, mm-hmm. and um, you begin to yeah to understand the different cultures and appreciate them it's uh it's really cool it's absolutely yeah i can only imagine especially with you know like it's almost like a a melting pot of cultures right so that's pretty interesting and Um, exceptionally well well managed i have to say oh yeah really yeah that's interesting and that's good to hear especially one of those top governing bodies um and the other thing that you kind of just mentioned which is kind of interesting right you're saying how the the fifa interview was probably one of the last ones that you've had um, from there, how were you able to kind of go to your next two positions, right? Was it just through connections you made at previous positions? Was it from, you know, maybe people you met at those conferences that you initially spoke about? How did you maybe maneuver around um, from position to position? Yeah, when I rallied you through the my career, I obviously did not mention the, the subjects that I worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, uh, I was very happy to to work at FIFA on the matter of uh, human rights and um, how we tr- treat uh, workers' welfare in uh, countries where FIFA has events, and that was um, part of the discussion at that time in the well European political sphere. Uh, mm-hmm. So in Brussels. And um, there was a, a special envoy from, uh, by that time, FIFA president Sepp Blatter, who was a German. And I approached him. I asked him, look, uh, I'm working here at FIFA. I'm doing this. Um, you have uh, some commitments vis-a-vis European institutions. I'd be able to help you. And it would be a pleasure for me. I was lucky he was German, too. So mm-hmm. I could connect with him via nationality um but i was very very lucky to to work with uh, theo zwanziger mm-hmm. um at the time fifa exco member former german fa president um and he took me to to the meetings with him i briefed him i worked closely with him on the on the subject um and through that obviously also also created a connection to the german fa itself mm-hmm. um and uh well, I got to know um, the president that I then worked for via a visit of a German delegation to sports institutions in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, they came with the, the German federal parliament. They visited uh, the IOC, CAS, UEFA and FIFA. And I arranged their, their visit, basically, and the discussions with um, the FIFA president and also the FIFA general secretary and... Um, yeah, I was very lucky um, because I managed to get uh, both of the most senior figures in world football to sit down with the parliament uh, uh, parliamentarians, um, members of parliament, excuse me, mm-hmm. um, quite for some time. And they were openly asking any questions and they received candid feedback, which is really something. If you, mm-hmm. if you consider the situation where in minus five, uh, if I remember correctly, um, in the basement of the FIFA headquarters in this extremely beautiful executive committee meeting room. And there sits the FIFA president and FIFA CEO, secretary general, and they answer you any questions that you want. So this was my first meeting with my future employee employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess over that, uh, we we had the conversation um, and then at some point where they asked uh, me to join the German FA uh, because of my international connections and network. Oh, yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's based on 
subjects that I worked on. And mm -hmm. obviously always, yeah, a small piece to the puzzle that's being added, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. uh, that's very interesting. Just kind of like making the most opportunities where, you know, you, I'm sure you probably, what well, would be the word? You made a good impression, right? In those meetings, right? Where they saw the value that you can then provide to the, to the German FA. And yeah. I guess moving on to that, what was that like? You know, what kind of things were you working on and how, how, how was, how was that experience? I guess just to say. Um, I think in, in to sum it up, I, I, I worked at some of the regulatory challenges at the time. So financially and, and also for the transfer market uh, challenges, that's uh, third party ownership of place economics rights. Um, at the German FA, I was, I was uh, mostly um, in charge of, well, the office of the president, which means everything, I guess. Um, but mostly, or most importantly, um, the campaigns for international offices of the, the president, which in, in total was um, two campaigns for FIFA uh, executive uh, office, UEFA executive office, uh, then for somebody else, um, and then two, two more um, campaigns for these, um, and always managed uh, to get the candidates in um so quite successfully and i guess the well the the, the biggest thing and the, the greatest experience for me personally was the campaign for getting the euro uh, 2024 tournament to germany i worked um, with a small group of, of people who basically prepared all the documents and and worked out all the technical stuff from from the national side and then i joined uh, their team when it came to um, campaigning in the international uh, sphere, mm -hmm. basically lobbying um, that we get the tournament to Germany. And um, I was in, in all the, the discussions in, the, in drawing up the strategy and talking to people and following up with them. And basically, I, I really worked a lot in that time. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe one of those things where you understand that sports is a little bit yeah, special. Mm -hmm. I missed uh, all the um, uh, um, big family events that you would think of, uh, actually. Mm -hmm. I, uh, my son was born in 2018, and uh, three days after he was born, I went uh, to lobby some more. <laughs> so I also really appreciate the, um, that my wife is letting me do all of that, obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for that. Um, no, but it's it, that was really the most uh, most important part where you could see also that it gave me uh, exposure to to football Germany in in more general terms mm -hmm. um, because at the um, at the ceremony where the hosting awards were um, given um, there was obviously um, the creme de la creme of uh, German football so all the big formal players all the big clubs. Um, they were represented and that obviously gave you a little bit of uh, exposure um, that was necessary so that people understand, wow, there's somebody um, who is not only doing the small things on the side in terms of organizing everything, but who also has the, the match plan basically for everything in his head. And um, I was extremely proud because <laughs> I was the only one who... Um, guessed the the voting result uh, almost correctly. Just one vote off. The others mm -hmm. were all uh, way far, far away, uh, more uh, off in terms of numbers. <laughs> so I was very happy about that. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, that's very interesting. And I guess um, one of the interesting questions I kind of want to have into that is, you know, you're talking about you know the, the upcoming tournament in uh, 2024. What kind of Obviously, yeah, it's a fairly general question because I was saying how much time it took. But what what is that like? Like, what kind of things are you thinking of, or what kind of discussions are you guys having to to make sure you know it goes to Germany in twenty twenty four? Right? What are the the things that go into consideration? 
I, I think again, you can see the red thread of, of my head in, in terms of uh, making an argument. I always mm -hmm. try to uh, create value for the other party as well. Mm -hmm. um, the entire strategy was based on the idea that uh, the winner is uh, football, which was the, the slogan basically it, um, of our feature film at the end. So when you pick Germany to get the hosting rights for 2024, not Germany itself is the winner, but football in general is. And um, I think this this approach we were completely committed to, and the guys still at the at the German FA are completely committed to. They um, they want to stage a tournament in the heart of Europe. Um, they want to to give back. They want to have a tournament where everybody feels that they can participate and have a role, or at least learn from it for mm -hmm. for their own organizations. Um, and I think this approach was really what made the different difference in, in terms of also being a little bit more innovative than usually just saying, yeah, we can host it. It will be great. Everybody will have fun and it will be good for everyone because we will make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to really look into how um, in terms of know-how, we can share know-how, we can share the experience with people from other football associations that would probably not be in a position for a very long time to have such a tournament, uh, either be it from size or financial uh, revenues that they have, limitations. Yeah, so that is really what it was all about. No, yeah, that's very interesting. It seems as though there's a, you know, a theme throughout your career, right? Of always providing that value to, to make sure there's that that exchange and even opportunities take place from that. And I guess, you know, we, we got into your current position now, right? So you kind of mentioned how that came about where you're having, you know, various coffee chats, right? And um, before we kind of get into all that, you mentioned one thing at the beginning that I, I was curious and I wrote this down specifically to ask again. You're talking about um, where you saw football going in a few years' time. So I guess before we can get into everything else, where do you see football going in a few years' time? Um, yeah, that is really a difficult question. Um, I would hope that football um, moves in a direction where it is uh, more financially sustainable. Hmm. Um, we're having not so crazy numbers for, for transfers anymore. Um, and we have we find a way to to arrange the international match calendar in in a sense that um, really really makes sense for everybody in a way. Mm -hmm. We have um, we have obviously now the the situation where you see that uh, um, yeah ownership clubs are maybe a little bit more favored in, in terms of uh, financials. Um, that makes it uh, more difficult for for uh, clubs like Eintracht um, uh, because we we won't have an investor, a, a single investor. I think that's uh, pretty clear in terms of the structure of the club, first of all, but also the culture. Mm -hmm. um, we are membership owned uh, a club, and um, this is really where you see you don't want to have this divide um, where money means everything in terms of sporting performance doesn't matter anymore because there's a closed shop and no matter how good you are how good you play you cannot enter in this league of elite clubs elite football clubs mm -hmm. um, because you cannot reach them financially and um, this is the really the core of the european super uh, the european sports model actually mm -hmm. Um, that you have you that you have relegation um, and that you that you can uh, excel uh, by sporting performance. This should prevail, I think. If we manage to do that, um, I would be very happy. Um, I, I guess this is the bottom line for for my vision. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, but there are a couple of challenges to that. Obviously, now um, with the pandemic as well, it's gotten. The issues have accelerated, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that does make a lot of sense. We're even touching on the episode that we'll air before this one as well. You know, we're talking about, you know, relegation, right? Obviously, you know, the cultural differences from Europe to, to North America, where in our North American leagues, there's no relegation. And I don't know how happy people would be if there was relegation, but 
I, I like the model in Europe, right? Where it, it, like you're saying, it keeps them honest, right? Where, Hey, you don't have a poor season. Then, you know, you provide the opportunity for someone to excel, right? Rather than having a, what is it? Closed capacity league for, you know, only the select few and they continuously are able to generate money where they, they can essentially do nothing and, and still get that. Right. So I definitely enjoy that model as well. Um, and then you, you mentioned how you maybe see um, transfer fees, you know, coming down. Why or how do you see that taking place? I would hope for, oh, for them hope. to go. Yeah. I'd hope mm -hmm. for them to, to go down because it essentially means that we're not going in the direction of, having a business with people changing their jobs or uh, employers basically mm -hmm. this is this is something um i don't see critical i think it's good um that there there exists um, such a transfer system mm -hmm. however the the amounts um they are well difficult to handle um obviously i think performance should be the the first and foremost indicator of what value you are having as a as a player mm -hmm. uh, on the transfer market but i i do see or i i do feel that uh, a lot in especially in sports is about um um not about objective understanding of of data mm -hmm. but it's also something very emotional and because of its beauty is because it's it's emotional that's its beauty for sure um, but that also means that some of the of the transfer fees um, are simply, yeah, crazy. I mean, now yeah. I today simply today I heard that a club turned down a hundred million euro transfer deal. Wow! Because it's too little, <laughs> and a couple of years ago, hundred million would have been headlines everywhere. Which means also we have um, grown to be okay with these high numbers for a player to switch clubs. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, even though if you look at them, obviously I, I've had the pleasure to work with someone who was um, uh, having inside understanding, let's say, um, mm -hmm. of the of the Neymar transfer, and he also said, "Look, we're not only considering the the I think two hundred million uh, US dollars back then for the value of the player of what he's able to do on the pitch." We're also obviously in under, having an understanding of what his his value is off the pitch in terms of uh, media, social media reach, in terms of advertising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Which means I understand some players are an enterprise, but others aren't, um, and we should also, yeah, yeah, I think it's not sustainable for for a single transfer to to be that expensive. Um, I don't see this uh, in the market at the moment that you that you would have this uh, um, in terms of income somewhat balanced, mm -hmm. and um, I think for the for the entire industry to to still grow, um, we should find ways to um, sort of get an understanding why um, there are so many uh, high value transfers at the moment um, mm -hmm. or how we can actually make them um yeah in a more sustainable fashion if how to govern the, the game in a more sustainable fashion yeah and, and that actually leads to, to what i wanted to ask next which i think it's maybe a perfect transition where um obviously just on the topic of the super league i was doing some research into that and just kind of looking at things from a, a different perspective right where as you were saying these you know large transfer deals or even you know clubs connecting a lot of their revenue to a single player, let's say a single asset, right? But if that um, player decides to, to move on, they don't want, no longer want to be with that club or their, their performance drops off, then, you know, sponsorship or partnership dollars are, are essentially attached to that player because they want, you know, their logo on that player's chest or et cetera. That's kind of almost what maybe one of the factors that almost started the Super League, right? Where, I, I know I was reading something in regards to, to Messi, right? If Messi left uh, Barcelona to go to Manchester City, a lot of the, the sponsorship dollars were connected to Messi, right? And the the length of the contracts, the size of the contracts weren't as big, but, you know, Barcelona made their budget around that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where they're starting to get to the financial issues. And then that kind of leads me to the question where, 
obviously, you know, you're talking about Neymar and how some players are almost like a single enterprise where they can almost be a media driver, marketing, etc. Like they have all these different opportunities that they can bring to, to a club. But from my perspective, right, I, I work in sports marketing. And this is something I asked the clubs four years ago when you know, I was in school and I was just meeting. I'm like, would you ever look at um, almost having internal athlete marketing into the club? And not necessarily just focus on a single player, but every player, right? Because they represent the mm. club. So essentially increase the, what is it? The value of each player's marketability. So then yeah. it increases the the club stature while also not just singling out one single person having these large transfer fees, but you know, having all these different players bring some sort of value, right? Whether it's someone that brings in a different audience or someone who, you know, you know what I mean? Like rather than just focusing on, hey, just messy, right? But kind of looking at it as a team effort, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's something I think with time will will take place because like you're saying, yeah. it, you just can't sustain all these these crazy costs for one single asset. I, I, I fully agree, uh, Chris. Um, whereas I would say from a player's perspective, it mm-hmm. also makes sense to join mm-hmm. a club um, that would also take care of my interests yeah. um, uh, on a more regular basis than mm-hmm. me having to work with an agency outside of my club. Yeah. Makes sense for the club as well as for the players in terms of like, if I look at, uh, I mean, I look at employers also, does he provide uh, health insurance or any other benefits? That would be somewhat a benefit for me as yeah. a player as well, I would say. So I think it's um, it's uh, it's definitely something to to pursue as a new field of of interest. I also see this happening, um, uh, not the way you describe, but um, somehow basic still. Um, uh, in Atalanta, for example, they have built um, in, in, in tremendous increase in revenues, also because of the of the their international. Um, uh, participation in international competitions now mm-hmm. but mostly because of the the player transfers that they were yep. doing so they mm-hmm. found good players and then sold them later at a, at a higher price point which would obviously add if you would have an internal athlete players marketing um campaign or sc- scheme in general for sure um so for me it's really something where we are at the moment is um have we i'm asking the question have we looked already already on all avenues of uh, increasing our revenues at the sports club in terms of do we really need an, an a single investor to come in mm-hmm. um do we really need this do or have we maybe not worked out something um mm. uh, to an extent where we could what we could do i mean there are many marketing agencies uh, mm-hmm. specialized in in personal development, mm-hmm. um, but we have—I have not seen any club doing this for a team or for a player um, more specifically. Yeah. Um, and still, obviously, it's something where you need to be cautious in terms of investment. If you look at the the numbers or the data in terms of do fans stay with the club or with a player, and uh, certainly at the moment the data shows that uh, it's more likely that. Um, fans follow a certain player rather than staying at the club. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends. I think Eintracht Frankfurt here is a, is a very special case in this regard. So we have a very strong fan base for the club itself. Um, but there certainly is an element to it um, uh, of, of fans um, only following a specific player, especially yeah. internationals, I guess. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of interesting things that you mentioned there, right? Where um, just from regards to at Atlanta, I think uh, I think I read something on them where obviously they, they generate a lot of revenue from from transfers. But I think they also sign a lot of youth players, no, where they almost have a ton in their academy, and they never even make it to the you know the first team where they're just selling them off right once they they have some interest or just loaning them out until the, their value increases. So maybe in regards to transfers, maybe that's something that gets capped one day. But then in regards to what you're saying about you know, investment into clubs, right? Where it is interesting we're saying where maybe the, for a lot of clubs, the solution is already in-house, right? Whether it's even just looking at the players and seeing how you can maximize their value, right? Rather than just what they can do on the field. 
And it's very interesting how like in the last week of meetings that I've had, this is a topic that's come up a lot where um, one of the companies I, I work with, you know, they look at audience analytics and mm-hmm. a perfect example. And we did a, a podcast on this last week, um, me and my, my team members, where essentially there is a, a WNBA club. So a women's basketball team in Los Angeles, they announced a partnership, right? With Jordan mm-hmm. Brand. So that's a big deal in basketball, right? The social cool. value of that post was a thousand dollars. Okay. Interesting. And that's on Instagram. Then one of their players. So this is also a WNBA player within this club. You know, she posted, Hey, I'm excited for this Jordan brand partnership. The social value of her post was $275,000, $275,000 compared to the club. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I've yeah. been trying to push that on all you know platforms that we have, because if that doesn't show the the solution that maybe athletes can provide to the club or even the, the power, let's say that they can yeah. have to, you know, grow audience or even, you know, push the needle a bit more. Yeah. That, that should absolutely. get you. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And actually we are, we're, very lucky for for Eintracht to to, to have some players, um, really uh, strong internationals. Makoto Aseba, I think, is the best example for it. He's he's huge, um, and he's so committed to the club. It's it's incredible. So working out a way to, um, yeah, make this relationship even even uh, more valuable to both the player and the club, I think, is the is the way to go. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And especially with, I think, some sports where, at least here in Canada, hockey and then maybe football in Germany, right, where they're so ingrained in the culture. And obviously, athletes want to, you know, so bad reach that level of success that they have so much trust in the agent and club, where sometimes it's hard for them to get outside perspectives. But if those Mm -hmm. agents and clubs, and that's why I'm talking to both now, because I think that's where you can actually get to the player and actually be able to provide that value. That's how you start getting to, to these numbers where it's helping every single party. And like you kind of going back to the theme of this whole podcast where it's just providing value, making it a, a win-win situation. And I guess the tagline, right? It's not just Jeremy yeah. that wins, but everyone wins in, in you know sports if you improve the value of athletes. Um, yeah, but I think that's a good way to kind of segue the podcast into the final few questions that ask um mm-hmm. everyone in general before i do so i see that you have a lot of books behind you and i'm curious <laughs> if is there one that sticks out to you like hey this is this is a must read for for people that I, i'd recommend um yeah but that's a that's a personal one um tim ferris tool of Titans, incredibly useful um if you're in a rut and you want to rely on some routine um, and uh, that have val- proven to be valuable for people. <laughs> what, so what is it, Tim Ferriss? Yeah, Tim Ferriss, Tool of Titans. Okay, Tool of Titans. It's, more, it's, it's not really, um, yeah, it's a book that gives you instructions on uh, and, and gathers daily routines of people. And it's, uh, it's incredibly interesting to see mm-hmm. um, the different people. It's in sports, financials, career and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, from, from actors to bankers to yeah, whatever you can imagine. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's perfect for the last two questions where they're a little more general, right? It's not necessarily just about sports. So obviously, you know, we, we've talked about your 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 route so far, right? All the different mm-hmm. you know positions, experience that you've been able to have. Let's say we kind of fast forward to you know one day you're a hundred and something years old, you're just sitting back, thinking about life. What's one story so far that you know sticks out that you're gonna remember for the rest of your life? And you're like, wow, uh, that's incredible that I was able to do that. Is there a story that sticks out to you? Um. There actually, there were actually quite, quite a lot, uh, or at least a couple that were really amazing when I was working at the German FA. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most incredible one was really when we won the hosting rights for the Euro 2024. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know who actually was it that that provided us with this um, with this letter, but you know the the airplanes they they get informed of major events taking place down on Earth while they're up in the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got one of these letters um, where a message was sent to all aircraft, all German aircraft, 
that Germany has won the hosting rights for the Euro 2024. And to see that, that this is something of such an importance for the country, everybody was excited about. Mm -hmm. um, also in the way we did it, clean, completely fine, and, and really um, super, super cool. That was, I think, one of the, the main moments in, in my career yeah, that I'm yeah. grateful for. Yeah, that, that's absolutely amazing. And I guess the final question to wrap it all off, it kind of goes to the, to the theme of the book here. Um, now going from, you know, 100 years old to, let's say, back to 16, 18. Yeah. What's some advice that you give to a young Sammy, to, to me, Chris, or even to someone listening, whether it's life or career related? What's, what's something that you think people should know or you wish you knew? Mm -hmm. um, I'd say um, always approach things um, as, as they are opportunities. Even if it's a problem, think of it as a challenge um, um, and always try to, to create opportunities. I think that's the, that's the most important part whether it was me traveling to, to all of these conferences and, and seeing people, chatting up people and, and trying to understand, obviously was also for me somewhat outside my comfort zone mm -hmm. because you cannot just simply listen, but you have to listen and be able to talk about things um, mm -hmm. later on as well. But um, I think uh, my advice would be try to create opportunities uh, for you, but also for others. Um, and... Uh, create as many connections as you can with people because that's what it's all about in the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's always why I like to finish off with that question, because I think it's a great way to just, you know, close it off. So unless there's anything else you'd like to share, um, thank you so much for, for coming on. And my, my notebook is full as always. So that means it's a good recording. So that's, uh, I think that's, that's value. So uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you. I just wanted to share um, that I appreciate it a lot, especially now and at this moment in my career, um, uh, to be able also to to share a bit my my experience and knowledge. I appreciate it a lot, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, Thank no you very problem. much. Thank you so much. Bye bye.